Protect your wooden clarinet and get the most out of your reeds with Bovada two-way humidity control packs. Watch until the end of this video to learn more. Then head to bovadainc.com and use code CLARINET at checkout to save 10% on your next purchase of Bovada products. Welcome to the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, and this is the first ever book club episode on the newly relaunched Clarinet Live Podcast. So if you are listening and you want the chance to actually follow along with the books that we're reading, of course, you can do that at clarinet.com. I've got links to all the monthly books that we'll be going through. But also, you can tune in live to these conversations by getting a Clarinet Live membership. You can do that uh, for free for 30 days with code LIVE at checkout. And uh, in the future, I'm really hoping to build a bit of a community around this. I do understand that this is, you know, this is the first episode ever of this, so I'm not really expecting much, if any, of a turnout, to be completely honest with you. Um, also, in the future, I do hope to actually have some authors on the podcast for this. I did invite Victor Wooten and uh, did not hear back from his team, so I assume he's just busy touring or something this summer. Who knows? But uh, I will attempt at times to get the author on as well to talk about their book. So um, the timing today is pretty interesting because I uh, ended up taking a bit longer to read this book than I think I might have thought I would have. Um, it actually took me about six weeks. I finished it about five minutes ago. <laughs> so the timing worked out just perfect for today. Um, but that means a couple things. It means, first of all, I've put a lot of attention into it, as you can tell. I, uh, I actually highlighted a fair amount in here, and there's a lot of sticky notes um, of things I thought I might want to reference on this call. I'm not sure how much time I'll have to get uh, have to go through all of them. And I'm also not sure how much I want to give away. I want to leave a little bit uh, for you as a as a reader to discover this book. Um, so part one is going to be a little bit of a book review. And then part two here is going to be a bit of a book, um, you know, book club kind of discussion breakdown. And hey, if it's just me, I guess I'll chat with myself. But uh, if someone tunes in, hopefully they will chat with me as well. Um, so spoiler alert, I'm going to try not to spoil too much in the review portion of the book. But to talk about the book, I need to talk about the book. So if you don't like spoilers, you maybe don't want to listen to or watch this episode of the podcast until you've had a chance to read the book. So like I said, I've got links to all these books at clarinet.com. If you'd like to purchase one of the book club reads, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, this is coming out in June or July, probably 2023. The May book pick was Victor Wooten's A Music Lesson, The Music Lesson rather. Uh, for June, we've picked The Inner Game of Tennis, which was suggested by Andy Simon, who is the principal clarinetist of the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. That book was suggested because it was suggested to him by Leon Rushnoff and, and uh, to many other students. Um, and hey, we can't really disagree with that. <laughs> um, good advice probably from him for sure. So uh, one of the greatest clarinet pedagogues arguably ever. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the first book of this series. I'd like to try this for a year, see where it goes. It really did encourage me to get through a book that's been on my bookshelf for two years, I'm embarrassed to say. I bought this during the pandemic and was hoping to get a little bit of a lift throughout the pandemic then. Um, I have to say, I wish I read it then because it would have given me that lift. This is a very positive and inspiring book from many perspectives. Um, if you're looking for sort of a book to give you a lot of... Uh, kind of raw musical skills, very clear directions in how to practice, how to get better. This is not that book. Um, I'm sure there's many other books out there. But, you know, the interesting thing is that I've read a lot of those kind of books, and I find a lot of them are actually quite forgettable. This book, I think, will stick with me for a long time. Um, if you're not the kind of person, and I'm normally not, who likes kind of metaphysical um, 
wishy-washy kind of new age sort of storytelling method of teaching this might not be for you and and at first I actually you know became a little bit confused because I wasn't sure if the story was real or imaginary and in the middle of the book I would have told you I was sure it was all imaginary but then at the end I'm like very surprised that it seems to be not I, I don't know I don't know what to make of the story all I know is that it seems to be a story um, and even has a warning at the beginning it says warning everything in this book may be all wrong but if so that's all right so i don't know uh, make of that what you will i suppose but um the story is no less appreciated if it's true or or false and it kind of makes me think of a moment in the book too where the the, the lead kind of character says to victor something like uh, victor asks well are you telling me the truth or not and and he says, well, if I told you the truth all the time, you might start believing me <laughs> or something like that. So I think that this book kind of lives true to that message in a sense of like, it's sort of, we're not really sure what's true and what's not. But it, in a way, it doesn't matter because it sets your imagination free. And and uh, I really found that that I can tell this book was good in a couple of ways. And it's the ways I can always tell a book is good. First of all, I make it past the first few pages. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, for me, I have a rule which I heard. It's kind of a funny rule. Um, but someone once told me that for every year old you are, you... Or sorry, I'll start, it, I'll start it like this. I was once told that you have to give a book 100 pages for a chance before you put it down and decide to read something else. So if a book is 300 pages and uh, you, know, you read 100 of them and you don't like it, you have permission to move on from that book, right? And I guess the point of this is that there's a lot of books you could read. Why waste your time on books you're not enjoying? Um, but the catch here is that every year you get older, you've got less time. So um, the rule I was told was for every year you live, subtract one page. And the joke of this is that by the time you get to be 100, you can actually judge a book by its cover and decide if you want to read it or not. Um, so for me, I'm 37. So when I read a book now, I guarantee myself... 63 pages and uh, I was definitely grabbed by the first only few pages with with great things to highlight and underline and bookmark and uh, that's the second way I can tell so first of all I passed like the page number test second I can tell a book is good if not only do I need my pencil to read and like if I'm reading and I don't have my pencil I feel kind of anxious I got to find my pencil um, but also if I have to sharpen my pencil in the middle of the book I know it's been good. And this was one of those books. Um, my pencil's yet again a bit dull, um, but it gets dull, obviously, because I'm going through highlighting it. I know that's not everybody's kind of jam. Some people actually use a, a real highlighter, of course. Um, I sometimes do that, but I find it fades over time, whereas pencil kind of doesn't. Pencil I like also because if I want to, I can write a note in the margins and uh, reference it later. Do I ever go back to these things? I don't know. Uh, very rarely. But the thing is that if I do, I've, I found some books, for example, recently I read in university and before. I always write my name and the date at the front of a book, just like that. And throughout it, I will highlight and often add stickies. Although usually I use a much smaller type of sticky. I just couldn't find them. I'll probably reorganize this book later. But um, I come back to it years later and I, I love to just flip through the highlights. And even if I don't read the whole book again, it kind of brings the whole book back to me. So anyway, those are kind of my two main ways of telling if a book is good. Like, first of all, does it pass my page test? Second, am I using my pencil? Am I anxious without it? And am I sharpening my pencil? Because <laughs> if I am, it's getting used a lot, right? So um, 
Yeah, I highlighted an, a really an untold number of things in here. It came to me at the perfect time because I am myself going through a bit of musical growth. I'm trying to do some songwriting, singing project that I have had on the back burner for forever and never really thought I would do. And the pandemic, I started working on it and I struggled a lot with it because, to be honest, I'm a clarinet player. And I do play other instruments, but the clarinet has always been my best instrument, which makes sense because I've played it for 25 years. I have a degree in it. I've played it professionally in orchestras and everywhere else. And, and uh, you know, I'm a clarinetist, right? Um, I have definitely not put anywhere near the time into the guitar or the piano or synthesizer or drum set or whatever as I have into the clarinet, right? So one of my favorite kind of quotes in this book was talking about how you don't play in his case the bass you play music and you're not a bassist you're a musician and a musician can make anything sound musical even if there's no notes um and i was just like wow that's so interesting so instead of he also talks about listening to not what you're playing and not what the piece is trying to say but like what is music itself trying to say um and it's just it's a very interesting concept and so i found myself as i was working with my guitar like treating it as a musician, even though I may not have the technical abilities all the time that I need. And I found by doing that, sometimes, for example, I was learning a couple of cover songs just for fun, but I found the challenges associated with that were kind of melting away. I used to kind of worry about, oh, which frets do I have to push? What do I do need to do for this and blah, blah, blah. But I'd find myself just moving around the guitar, using my ear to locate where I was going and playing with chord voicings. And it was very interesting because I, I wasn't practicing. I was playing if that makes sense and, and that is another thing the book kind of espouses and so um the book i think the overall overarching kind of vibe of the book and it does say a spiritual search for growth through music um the overall vibe is evident right away because he's capitalizing the word music almost as if someone would capitalize god or a company it's a proper you know, it's proper noun or whatever. He's addressing music as a person. Um, and we do find out that he literally views music almost like some sort of entity that we have to tap into. And and it's very interesting in that way to just kind of think about the fact that, that music is sort of out there to be discovered or caught, um, like, the, like the wind or something. I don't know. It's just part of the earth, part of the world, part of the, the universe, the spirituality of being or something like that. And and uh, it's not something we just pick up and make with a clarinet. Like clarinet is like funneling or channeling this music through us. And that was a very interesting thing to think about. Um, I can see how, though, like I said before, a lot of very analytical people would probably really have a lot of problems with this book. And, and there are a few instances, which I'll talk about in a minute, which I was very, very suspect of. And I, I think he may have pushed the limits a bit too far <laughs> as far as the book goes, but... But uh, we'll get to that in a second. So, I mean, that's my kind of synopsis of it, I guess, as a review. I would give it a four out of five because I thought it was a great read. I thought it was very inspirational. I thought it was very well written, actually. The story was compelling. It's very memorable. In fact, memorability, I, I think this will probably be one of my most mem remembered music books ever. Um, so I I I'm almost tempted to push that up to a five. It was, And maybe I'll change my mind in the future <laughs> and make it a five. But I feel like it's just a little bit lacking in technicality it could have used a little just push of um i want to say sensibility but that's kind of the word i'm going for i i get his vibe with the spiritual training and all that and maybe he feels there are other books out there that do touch on that but i would have appreciated some of that from victor himself you know um but uh 
in a way, though, it would have maybe been only relevant to bassists, and this book itself is more relevant to musicians as a whole. So a strong four, four plus out of five, let's say, as a kind of clarinet review number. Um, very, very good book. I would definitely recommend this to, to anyone who's looking to, you know, improve their musical, not, not necessarily, you know, technique or ability, but their musical sensibility um, and sort of spirituality in music and finding themselves as a musician, I think is a sort of invaluable book. So um, at this point, I'm going to go into some of my highlights and uh, this will be kind of the book club chat portion. Uh, normally, this is where I would be inviting other people in to talk with me, but there's nobody here right now. So so do do me a favor. And if you're enjoying this episode, do head over to clarinet.com slash live. You can get a free live membership for 30 days with code live at checkout. And uh, on the next book club call, hey, maybe you'll be able to join me and tune in and, and talk with me about the book. So, But that's the format here. I'm going to do a little quick review of the book. Uh, I might chat with the author if they're here. And then I'm going to invite listener participation and open up the floor to conversation about the book. Okay. So, um, at this point that talk will be with me. Um, I would love to know, you know, by the way, if, if you're also the kind of person who highlights your books, what did you highlight in this book? So comment below kind of your favorite moments. Um, and on future calls, please share them with me as well. So, uh, I'm going to just flip through a few of these for a few minutes and talk about them. Um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, hardcore now. Um, I was kind of hinting at some of the book's concepts and things before, but I'm literally going to be reading from the book <laughs> in passages from start to finish uh, right now. So if you want to cut out and read the book first and come back later, that's all cool. I'll give you three seconds to turn this off. One, two, three. That's it. Okay, diving right in. So the contents of the book are listed right at the start, which is a little bit kind of odd for maybe a work of fiction. Um, but I think he did that so that it was a good reference. I like that he's making it referenceable in that way. Um, and he's, it's got a whole cyclical kind of vibe here and a musical vibe to the, the book. I just noticed now actually that it's, it's actually appears to be three phrases. Like there's 12 chapters, but there's also a prelude and a coda. And before the book, there's this little thing he calls grace note, which is just chap pages one, two, four. So he's actually viewing this book, I think, as a musical phrase. But the weird part is the book is cyclical. Um, and you'll see why if you read it. I don't want to give that part away because it's a bit too much. It'd be like my dumbest decision ever as a reader was when I picked up 1984 and I, this stopped my habit. But at the time, I had a habit in high school of just checking out the last page of the book before I read the book and I'll never do that again because I, I just ruined the book for myself by reading the last page. So if you're reading 1984, don't look at the last page. And that goes for this too, actually. Don't look at the last page. Don't read that last chapter first. You want to be kind of interested in the way the story goes there. So I won't touch on that, but I will say that it's a bit cyclical. And he's implying here, I think, that the music kind of never ends. We've got this grace note, which leads into the prelude. And then we've got 12 measures. So one could assume three phrases of four measure music. And then this coda, which literally means back to the start, you know, or after, I guess it's not a, okay, yeah, no, no, it's a coda. So it's like, a, the, it's the ending part. I wish he said, I wish he said like a repeat or something. <laughs> anyway, maybe it's not cyclical. Maybe that is the end, but this is clearly, he's viewing the book as a musical phrase, right? So that's very interesting, but his sort of things that he touches are, touches on are groove, notes, articulation, technique, emotion, and feel dynamics, rhythm and tempo, tone, phrasing, space, listening, and this last chapter, which is called The Dream. Um, so each one of those 
chapters has a lot of really interesting concepts in there. Um, off the top of my head, the one that was my favorite, I have a favorite concept of like musical concept, but then there was one in there that really made me think about like life in general. And I think I'll touch on both of those uh, sort of at length here. So the one that made me think the most about music, I think, was when he's talking about silence being as important as notes and silence by itself having kind of different characteristics. And I guess what I mean by that is he's sort of saying that like, he's using numbers as the example, like zero means nothing, right? And zero by itself is nothing. And zero times anything is nothing. Um, a zero before a one, it's still just a one, right? A zero before a nine, it's still just a nine. But the second we put the zero after any one of those numbers, suddenly we've amplified that number 10 times. And what he, what he means by that is that, you know, one zero is 10, nine zero is 90. So we're, we're really getting a lot more bang for our buck by putting zeros in there, if that makes sense. And the more zeros you add, the more profound that gap gets. And, and his point basically is that there's a really interesting example in the book where he's at a jam and everyone plays like these crazy hard, you know, jazz solos. And uh, the drummer, who is super solid and not flashy the whole time, his solo is just that he stops for four beats, plays a cymbal crash or something, and then just four beats later, gets back into it. And the weird thing is that all those flashy notes, all that crazy stuff everybody else played, the most memorable point of the song was that pause, that gap. And it's genius to do something like that, you know? Um, and I've never been a real big fan of flashy playing myself. I, I think that's why I'm a big fan of Radiohead, for example. Their drummer actually, I think, defines uh, one of the, the, the drummer in the book here, where he's talking about how he's solid, super reserved with his playing, but clearly has chops, doesn't like to show off. I, I like that kind of playing. It shows a real sensibility and thought put into things. And um, it just really makes me think about how I often talk at music clinics that I do to the kids about, you know, what's more important, notes or rests. And and uh, the kids always say notes. And then when I'm kind of looking, eh, not really. Then they say rests. And, oh, not really. And I always say that they're of, of equal importance. You know, like you can't have the notes without the rests and the rests without the notes. And, and you really need to play the rests um, so that the notes can be played as well. And they work together. You know, if you don't play the rests, you often rush. And I found it really strange. But a lot of what I used to say about this is actually in this book. So I don't know if it was taught to me by somebody who'd also read this book or if I'm just channeling the music or something. But uh, I, there's a few things in here that I've actually been saying for a long time to students about this particular subject. And uh, I found that really kind of interesting. Um, but also it just goes for just playing, you know, a jazz lick or anything really. He, there's another instance where he's talking about trying to make up a solo and you play a bunch of notes the first time and then you try to remove a note and, and this note, this note, this note. Try and remo remove as many notes as you can and see if you can still keep the groove and still keep the musical message in there. And I, I thought that was also pretty, pretty cool, pretty enlightening. Um, and it makes me think too of some, sometimes the best, you know, music riffs that you hear, the best bass lines are just a note played really tastefully in the right place every couple of beats, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't need to be busy. It's just filling up what it needs to. And ironically, if you added more, you'd be killing the groove or, or killing the, the feel or something. Right. So um, really cool, really interesting to think about how, in a way, I thought the most interesting message about this music book was the points that you're not playing or resting. But I think that we learned that that's kind of music too, so long as there's a note preceding that zero, <laughs> right? If it's just all nothing, 
that's all zero, we never get to the music. But if if there the second there's a note, you're creating this this space or this gap. And and I guess that the music, in a way, once there's been one note, it never really ends. And and the book even talks about that at the start. Something about how, um, you know, the note in the universe, all the music that has ever played is still out there vibrating somewhere. And that really blew my mind too, because I, I've known that before, like you know, reverberation, especially through radio signals through the universe. But, but you think about how, you know, the rever- reverberations kind of die away slowly, but do they ever really get to zero? I don't know. Um, so yeah, he, he makes a point about how every note that's ever been played is still kind of being played and, and something like that. And it's, it's just very, very, very interesting. As you can see, these are like mind blowing concepts. It's not like you know, this is how I would play the scale. <laughs> no, it's it's just more philosophical kind of reading. And I thought that that was quite interesting, even if the presentation was a little off kilter at times. Like it becomes a little bit fantastical at a few moments, um, especially, you know, at the end. There's a few, I don't want to talk about them because they're just too too much giveaway, but there are a few like, I'm trying to think of one. The guy who comes to, to teach him the lessons is just like often appearing or like literally appearing and disappearing. And obviously that's just not possible, right? So we start to enter a world of fantasy. And even though this is some guy that he's like apparently meeting with and playing at the bar, like he just has the ability to just disappear, (laughs) you know, or or say all these crazy things which don't really make any, you know, logical sense. Um, And there's even stories of people in here, which I, I, I get the sense that some of it's true. I get the sense that a lot of it's true, actually, and that he's kind of just channeling all of his musical lessons through the stories that the people in this book are teaching him. But the one thing I don't really know why he does is at the end, he goes through the different characters and kind of what happened to them and where they are in life now. And I'm like, okay, now you're confusing me because if this was a story and this is all fiction, clearly, why do we (laughs) need to kind of know how they wrapped up and where it ended up? And what's odd, too, is he does tie it sort of into his real life. Like he's talking about music awards he won and, and where... You know, these people were kind of at that time. And it's it's a very weird last couple of chapters from that perspective. I can't tell if he's just a very imaginative imaginative person or like if this is borderline schizophrenic writing or something. I, I'm not really sure at that point. Um, I, I do draw a parallel between this book in a way and another book I've read called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is that, I think his name's Kawasaki or something like that. Very famous business book. Um, and it's just a bunch of lessons kind of taught through a similar way. Or maybe The Wealthy Barber. It's by a Canadian author called uh, David Chilton. And it's just a same thing, a bunch of stories kind of told at the barbershop. So I see this as kind of like The Wealthy Barber or Rich Dad, Poor Dad of, of music education books. And uh, for that, like it has its place um, as being a book like that, you know. And it just, it is what it is. So don't expect more than what it is, is a sense of an instructional tool. Um, but don't expect less. I mean, you, you want to open your mind to try and read this book and, and sort of get yourself in his mindset and try some of these things. I I was really impressed with, with just trying to do some of the stuff in here. Um, one more thing I'll just touch on before I go on to my mind-blowing moment of life or whatever, <laughs> was uh, he, he talks about instead of trying hard, try easy. So just it makes it so much easier to to get the task done if you're not stressed out if you're not you know tense when you're doing something right if you're just able to okay well yeah let's do it and instead of practicing with the hope that you can do something practice knowing that you can do it 
that's also a totally different mindset. So yeah, lots lots to go on in here. I don't want to give it all away, um, but I definitely recommend reading this book. And I think that you know, especially if you're a student who's taken a very academic route, who many musicians have these days, especially classical musicians, we can get trapped in the whole music education system and forget about playing music. One one other thing he says is, the more we practice, the less we play, and that's also very true. My mouth's getting dry here. One second, I gotta have some coffee. So this is my coffee cup, one of my coffee cups. Maybe I'll go over some of the other ones on the podcast here <laughs> if it matters, but um, not that it matters, but uh, this is actually handmade in uh, in Canada. They have an island called Vancouver Island. And they do a lot of pottery out there. This cup is over, I think, 10 or 15 years old. It still looks brand new, but very high quality. Um, I wish that I had like a set of them. My goal one day is to replace all my my dishes and cups with with handmade stuff from Vancouver Island because it's just so cool. Um, but it's a nice big cup. I like it a lot. For those who can't see it, it's kind of a, I don't know, a cream color with a sort of brown top, very kind of shiny, very kind of odd shaped, but it's, I don't know, I like it. It's one of my favorite cups. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, I'm just having a coffee here. I don't know what you're having as you like to read, but I always have a coffee with a little bit of cream and sugar or actually I've switched to honey. I now use, I've had some health issues the past little while. I don't really eat sugar anymore, but um, I now put a little bit of uh, honey, locally sourced wildflower honey with like bee propolis or something in it. That's uh, it's actually very expensive, but it's one of my treats <laughs> that I like. I think it's like $50 a bottle, but uh, very, very good, good honey, good high quality. And I've been told that bee propolis has almost all the nutrients you need to live. So it just seems like a good way to start my day and have in the middle too, so. Anyway, I always like to drink coffee while I read. I almost can't read without coffee, so. All right, the mind-blowing part that was kind of uh, the last thing I'll talk about here was just this one moment in the book where this guy Clyde is talking about just life and how life seems so long, but you know when you get older, it flies by really quick. And um, the weird thing is if you do the math on life, you are only alive for a... a you know, defined number of days, of course, and we don't really know how much time we have. But what we do know is that let's say we're able to live 60, 80 years, that's a finite number of days that can be calculated, right? Um, So I think the number they use, I'm just going to pull it up here. Um, Oops, where did it go? I can't remember how old they said this person was. Oh, 50 years old. By the time you're 50 years old, they say that's 18,250 days. And that doesn't sound like a lot of days. You know, but that's uh, that's how many that is by 50. So I guess, you know, 75 or however many years would be however many days more. But but they, they break it down and, and figure out, okay, so how many of those days do you spend sleeping? Well, about a third of your life. So, okay, we're down to 12,000 days. How much time do you spend shopping, preparing meals, uh, spending time with your family and friends and kids and whatever else? Um, how much time do you spend working? How much time do you spend this and that and blah, blah, blah. And by the time you really get down to it, the amount of time, even the best performers spend making music is fitting into just a couple thousand days probably of that entire lifetime. So I, I think it just made me realize to be much more precious, not just about the time I spend on music, but but when I switch between tasks, like I often find I'm looking forward to get back to something like, let's say I was working on a podcast and, and now I got to go make dinner. I'm like, oh God, I got to switch. I, I, when am I going to get this done? I got to go switch. I got to get up there. And the whole time I'm cooking, I'm thinking about whatever I was supposed to get done and vice versa. When you're thinking about what you're supposed to get done, you're hungry and whatever. You, you're, you're kind of 
unable to just enjoy the moment, you know? So I think it kind of taught me to just live in the moment a little more. But the big thing too is that you really got to cherish the moments that you do have because it, it made me think too about, well, I enjoy watching movies or driving my car or going to the mountains or whatever. I mean, if I only go, let's say on a trip to the mountains once a year for, you know, two nights a year in my whole life, that's only a handful of days. So you really got to cherish things as they're happening. And, and for music, let's get back to music. I mean, okay, so let's say that I'm able to spend a whopping 10 or 20% of my entire life playing playing music, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that is a lot considering you're asleep for a third of your life, right? You're still limited to such a small number of days. And that's not to put pressure on you and like, oh my God, you have to make each moment productive. But like, you've got to find a way to enjoy it and, and kind of accelerate what you need to do and make sure you're accomplishing what you need to do. Like, do I really want to spend my musical days sitting in my practice room making sure my scales are perfect? Or do I want to be making music with people or my, myself or, or working on my songs or, or whatever. I mean, I, I'm not sure that there's a point. There must be a point where you've reached a technical ability to stop obsessing like many students do in a practice room constantly about, you know, the, the, the minutia of performing, you know, um, and you've got to just open your mind to, to just accepting better ways to do things. Um, if that, if that kind of makes any sense. And, and just as a caveat, this book is not dismissing musical technique and I'm not either. I'm not dismissing musical technique. He's, he actually says at some point that technique is what enables you to, to be free and play. But if you know, you need the technique to be able to play. Um, but you actually don't sometimes need the technique to be able to play too. And he talks about that, but, but in general, like, especially in a career of classical or jazz music, it's a very hard skill. You have to learn the basics. Um, but you've got to find a way past them too. And you can't kind of live there forever. Um, I remember having that realization in university. I, I, I just realized one day how much I hated being in the, the practice rooms and, and where I went to university, um, they had no windows. That practice hallway was like a dungeon no windows. And it was just, I always thought to myself, like, why would they have all the things of all the places that people spend on campus? The only one with no windows really that I can think about was the, the music practice rooms. And it was just shameful. I, I remember going to the university of Washington one time, actually. And I was really surprised because their, their practice rooms were, were quite a bit smaller, but quite a bit different. And some of them had windows and I was like, wow, what is this? It's crazy. Um, and it just seemed like a great idea to have music uh, practice rooms with windows for the musicians so that they can not feel so trapped as they're trying to be creative. And uh, I also realized back then that, you know, I'm not going to make a career in the practice room. The career will be made outside the practice room. You got to meet people. You got to do things. You got to get out of there. And uh, so just, you know, get it done. Get what you need to do done so you can go actually make music and play music with, with other people or yourself or whatever you want to do, right? So... Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed my musings today on Victor Wooten's A Music Lesson. Um, and uh, like I said, I would love it if some people would join me on these calls. It'd be so, so uh, fun to just connect with the Clarinet audience a little bit. That's one of the reasons I've started this new live kind of uh, idea. Well, first of all, I did a survey and people asked for it. So that's, <laughs> that's one reason. So it's surprising that nobody's here. So, hey, if that's, one of, if that's you, let's, let's go try your, try your membership. Let's have a... Have a, have a talk about the books and, you know, join me on the guests and things like that. Um, but the other reason is I'm really sick of social media and I'm really wishing for a more connected way to deal with the Internet. And, and I guess what I mean by that is, is building a smaller community 
uh, of people that I, I get to see face to face. I get to keep in touch with. I get to actually know maybe a little bit um, instead of this just endless void of reels and posts and stuff I I really have a hard time resonating with anymore. I'm, I'm not into the whole social media very much. Now, unfortunately, you know, I've still got to make posts. You'll probably see a bunch of reels from this episode even. Um, but uh, it's not something I really want to spend a lot of, a lot of uh, time and effort on anymore. I feel much more apt to just try and connect with people, people in a more kind of real way. And that's kind of what something I'm a little bit excited about for this whole Clarinet Live. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, like I said, you can get a free trial of Clarinet Live with code live at checkout at clarinet.com. I do hope that you read this book. I'll put a link to it in the description below, as well as the next month's book as well. And for any upcoming books, you can check out the book club link on the website, again, at clarinet.com. So thank you so much for listening today. And uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, do remember to quote some of your favorite points in the comments. And uh, feel free to ask me any questions about the book below as well. And also, hey, if you have any recommendations for the Clarinet Book Club, do let me know. I want to make a point, though, I will say, of reading all sorts of books, whether they be biographies or factual information about music or how to record or different, you know, genres and elements, not just these kind of self-help-ish sort of books, because I, uh, I read something a while ago that really made me think, and it was saying basically, I'll sum it up in my own way, but it was something like, you know, if you spend too much time reading self-help sort of materials, you'll find what you're doing is you're sharpening the saw, so to speak, but you have no wood to cut and nothing to build. And I, I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but that's kind of my way, like I said. But I thought that was so kind of profound because I'm like, that's true. If we spend all day learning how to play music or if we, how to do a good business or whatever people spend a lot of time reading these days, um, you're not really learning anything, are you? So I, I'm not dismissing this book at all, of course, but I just want to say that I'm open to reading. For example, I know there's a really great version of... Uh, of a Stanley Drucker biography, which I really, really want to check out. I have not read that yet. That'd be a great pick. Uh, might come up in the future. There's other books on, you know, different periods of music, biography type books, maybe of someone like Glenn Gould would be interesting for me. Um, other clarinetists might be out there, of course. Uh, memoirs, anything like that. Any type of book. Uh, I think the only genre we probably won't touch on is, you know, stuff that's completely unrelated to music, <laughs> like business books or, or uh, you know, works of fiction. Although there's one work of fiction or at least several that I think would be relevant to clarinetists and the musical career. So anyway, with all that in mind, please share your comments below. Thank you so much for watching today. And I'll see you next time on the next episode of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And I'll see you next time. The Clarinet Podcast is brought to you in part by one of my favorite products ever, Bova the Two-Way Humidity Control Packs. I live in a super dry and cold climate in Canada, and so taking care of my instruments is a real challenge. However, it's effortless with Bovida. Every three months, I just replace the Bovida pack in my case, and I know my clarinets will be comfy and cozy inside. If you use cane reeds, there's also a mini version that fits inside most reed cases and keeps your reeds at their best, so they're ready to play when you are. Check out Bovida's offerings for clarinetists at bovidainc.com and use code CLARINET at checkout to save 10% on your next purchase. Click the link in the description below to learn more.